Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, the Queen of Hearts won't budge despite takeover rumours. Dave King abdicates Rangers and now Douglas has parked up. We just want to go back, back to 1998 when Scotland were in the World Cup. Good thing is, we can. I'm Andrew Slavin. You may remember me from such films as Gardening on BT Sport in a Queen of the South shirt and trying to forget that happened. And joining me, the master of football manager and the man who has recently achieved the sextuple. Quite a sexy thing to do, JJ. Congratulations. That's good. What is this gardening thing you're on about? Uh, so BT Sport are doing a programme called BT Sport Extra from yeah. home. And basically, they asked for some fan engagement uh, to be in on that. And I was doing some gardening. So I got Emily, my girlfriend, to film me gardening, ripping up trees, which is probably kind of a bad thing. (laughs) But they were invading my garden, so I had to commit tree murder. Invading? To create some space. Yeah. How does a tree invade? Well, they were already there. So I guess I invaded their territory. Exactly. Uh, But I won. This is like the Americans all over again. (laughs) <laughs> I, sent, I sent that into BT and they used it quite a lot um, But anyway um, Missing the football Always good to get Queens on I haven't the watched any BT since the world's been cancelled So I, yeah. I've, missed well, out. I've missed out What's What's been going on in, in your isolation? Uh, I had a holiday last week And I used it to play lots of football manager And play football in the park <laughs> on my own I've been doing this for a long time, right? Just kicking the football about on my own you've been, you've been self-isolating for about 20 years, have you not? <laughs> That's correct. But uh, I've noticed that lots of other guys have got the idea. And it does look quite silly kicking football about on your own. But I'm glad I was the first <laughs> of anyone over the age of 30 to be doing it. I don't know. I've asked people before if it's normal to kick a football about on your own in the park. And everyone's been like, no. But I like doing it. So I don't know why I can't. You see? Just just quickly on Football Manager. Is it not? Do you think? Are you bored now that you've got the sex tuple? Oh, I was just playing it because it's just a good way to sort of pass time while I'm sitting looking out of the... It's, it's that easy, uh, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. When you get to the point I'm at in Football Manager 19, it's very easy. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people have been asking me questions about FM20, so I should probably play that a bit more so I know what to say to them. But yes, that's uh, yeah. it'd be nice if football was back now. I would like to watch some. Right, well, later on the show, JJ, you're going to be giving us uh, your team of the season. We'll have a Celtic or Rangers player this week, maybe. This is the worst team of the season you will ever find anywhere. <laughs> it, got, it started badly and it's got worse. Yeah, it's going to get better. We're picking fullbacks this week. Um, and we'll also be reliving Scotland's last appearance at a major tournament. The men's team, that is. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So, JJ, the headlines this week... We've heard from the head honcho, the big man, the head chieftain, Alexander Seferin, the UEFA boss, suggesting that the season could be lost. What do you think? Where is it? Where's it gone? As I tried to explain to you last week, Andrew, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's lost. It's, uh, it's gone. Exactly. You don't know what, where did you where did he put it last? He put it last when lots of things were up for up for grabs. No one really knew what was going to go on. We still don't know anything. There's a lot of um, chat I've seen that 
some leagues will so a lot of leagues will lose a lot of money by not playing that's clear but they will lose far more by not playing games than they would if they played them behind closed doors so mm. there's really kind of early tentative plans that maybe some leagues could go into some sort of holiday camp mode where they're all kept in a quarantine environment just to see out the rest of the the season so you're basically saying that that it's better to play the games for kind of sponsorship reasons and broadcasting rights reasons well do you not pay to watch a game every day just now i would yeah absolutely of course i would that would be great so we've had we've you know the 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 league uh has been suspended until or will be suspended until the april 30th at the moment we know that UEFA are meeting with all 55 um, associations on Wednesday, which might spread a bit more light as to what's going to happen. Do you think there'll be a bit more clarity on whether the leagues will be declaring winners of seasons? Will the season end, do you think, or do you think the season can restart? Um, because I think that um, Alexander Seferin said the, the there was three there was plan A, B and C. And if they can't be fulfilled, that's why the game is lost. Well, Andrew, I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh the whole thing is I mean, we're gonna as long as we keep being able to do this podcast, we're not gonna know anything about it till anything has been declared. I mean you look at Italy, there may there's rumours, noises maybe that they were looking at uh calling it in Serie A because I mean, they're in such a dire strait. I mean, they've just got a horrible, horrible uh, situation going on there. So I'm sure they don't care about football that much. But then they could call that. And there's lots of money that needs to be distributed to people so they can pay people and staff. You've got a lot of clubs in... Um, I know we spoke to uh, like Steny last week. But, I mean, today, Bolton in England, they're in League One, I think. Yeah. Uh, Bolton have said that uh, management, key management, are, are taking pay cuts. They've furloughed staff. Um, the father of the CEO died, which is not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one part of it. I know Newcastle are furloughing staff and um, all these bits are going on. Uh, Aberdeen, I think it's today, was it? Dave Cormack has come out and um, asked for clarity from football authorities. And this is the problem, exactly what we're talking about Steny, uh, with Steny last week, is that teams, uh, management, everyone who's playing football really needs leadership from above to let them know what's happening because they can't make decisions till they know what's been done above them but the organizations they're relying on leadership from need answers from people above them and the whole situation is obviously very complicated yeah i mean i don't know what to say we don't know what's going to happen do we it's well we don't uh, we don't know what's going to happen we know that the spfl have done a little thing where they've advanced some payments which were meant to be paid in april um out to some clubs where the top three in the Scottish Premiership got just under 400,000. But I think when you go further down to the likes of League Two, it was, I think it was just under 2,000, um, which is nothing. And there's this thing that's been going around where, and I don't know how much you know about this, JJ, with the government's intervention, um, with furloughing staff to the sums of 80% of their wages, and this can be adopted and claimed for by a lot of clubs and i think this is where we we can kind of move on to hearts and say this is why they're looking at you know 50 percent wage cuts do you know much about how these clubs can claim or how how these clubs might be able to utilize this 
no, it's, yeah. I mean, I barely understand half the government. Are you a financial man, JJ? No, no. And I listen and I read to all the bits and pieces, but I am not your man for uh, economic advice, nor the government's slightly confusing uh, instructions that they've given for everyone. I know that the thing with Hearts now is that, well, Anne Budge wrote to the players saying their wages could be suspended from March 31st. So when this podcast is out, if they don't accept the 50% wage cut, but I mean, they're not. I know uh, Chris Boyd. I think was making fun of Hearts for offering to do this. This is going to be worldwide. Clubs have got to do things like this. Barcelona have got to take a seventy percent. I think it is pay cut. And yeah, that's right. I think I don't know if this is confirmed, but I think some of the top players, like Messi, the ones you'd expect, have said that uh, they can take that cut so that the other staff, like key staff who aren't players, can be paid their full wages. You know, the ones who tend to earn a lot less. They're not getting yeah. paid eight hundred grand a week to man the club shop. Be a good job if you could, but yeah, this is a Scottish teams like Dave Cormack is he's quite vocal. He seems to like talking to the press, and he's been asking for clarity on leadership. A lot of the clubs are really worried about about their their money. I mean, Rangers have just gone through a, a change in. Um, or Dave King's obviously stepped down. You've got Douglas Park. He mm-hmm. uh, Dave King said that Rangers needed ten million pounds injected. Just to keep cash flow going with the club, and that I don't know what their situation is like now, especially if there's no income either, because they have massive expenses. Well, one man with his finger on the pulse of everything is former chief SFA comms man and former head of football newswriter at the Herald, Daryl Broadfoot, who joins us now. Daryl, how are things with you at the moment? Wonderful. I have my finger on the pulse of every Joe Wicks fitness video going to keep my <laughs> occupied in these long, endless days. <laughs> Superb. Let's get stuff in, into the stuff that really matters. And the first question I will ask is, when will the season restart? Um, more caveats than a contract. Um, when will the season start? Uh, but bluntly, I can't see the season starting any time before late July, early August. Um, that That's not a considered official view but that's from the early days understanding how this virus works how it's going to impact on us when it's likely to peak um when that bell curve will start heading down the way so i genuinely hand on heart can't see that happening anytime june Uh, july i think will be the earliest that players will be going back doing proper group related activity and then you'll have to start factoring in the end of the season from that moment on. I mean, we've already heard Anne Budge, the, the chairman of Hearts, come out and and kind of admit that there's going to be at least six months of kind of abnormal op- football operations. Is that? Do you kind of agree with that? Um, abnormal. I don't think we'll see any kind of normality for a year, two years across the board because by the time we get out of this lockdown, by the time we try to rebuild lives, businesses, economies, there'll be, a, I think, a new normality that will take take a while to get used to. Um, so normality, I think, is something that will change our perceptions of normality and reality four weeks ago are already demonstrably different to what they are now and will certainly be different to what it's like five, six months from now. From a club's perspective, how quickly can you get back to fans coming to watch how how quickly can you get to 
income generation. And that's why I generally think August, September is the earliest you can do that. But even by that point, normality, I think, will be a forlorn hope. But what about this season and this season, you know, coming to an end, you know, a full uh, programme of fixtures being completed um, and champions and relegations being confirmed? Could there be a scenario where we don't see that at all and that has to be brought up earlier? Is that something that the SPFL have to consider maybe in the coming weeks? There's nothing from day one the SPFL have had to consider what happens to the league because you've got you've got money riding on it, you've got bonus payments, you've got celebration, you've got titles to be won, you've got cups to be determined. And what you've seen recently, the FA have obviously called lower league football and effectively null and voided the competitions. I think the SPFL's preference, as they've said all along, would be to complete the season. But there comes a point when the wish or the preference to complete the season is at odds with the desperate need for short-term cash flow from the clubs. That's why Scottish FA's front-loaded one point £5 million worth of, of advanced payments. That's why SPFL remitted their April payments and prorated those who are already certain of top six, Motherwell, uh, for example, a couple of days ago. So in an ideal world, you would complete the season when it's safe and appropriate to do so sometime in the early summer. We we have now other scenarios. I'll, I'll talk about um, you know player contracts in a, in a, in a yeah. minute as well, but um, because obviously... They're important too, but is there? A, I know the SFA have this rule on dual ownership, and we've heard recently that there has been a, a a kind of desire for a Hearts takeover from the uh, chairman of Barnsley, Paul Conway, and and you think that's realistic? The Hearts takeover given given the amount of money that the foundation of hearts have put in well i think it's funny anyway because paul conway sacked daniel stendel yeah. <laughs> Barnsley, um just just this season anyway um so i think it's odd from that but it's, it's what, what i'm getting at what i'm getting at is that idea of do is there is there an element where we need to attract more investment so something like trying to bat away potential investors um, who have ownership of other football clubs in Scottish football, is that something yeah. that the SFA might consider allowing to happen from now to try and help clubs find more funding? You have to welcome the doves and stave off the vultures, in, in my experience, when it comes to inward investment. Scottish FA will be more than open. I think the board themselves have loosely discussed how to provide that comfort. So if you think back to... Mike Ashley, for example, when he was looking to invest in Rangers, a, a tariff of, say, 10% was set up so that you wouldn't fall foul of, of dual ownership regulations. And the reality, of course, when you look at it globally and you look at, for example, the um, City Group, there, there's an example of an ownership model that sets up franchises. So, of course, Scottish FA and Scottish football generally would be foolish to turn its nose up at any investment in the game, but it has to be serious investment and it has to be investment for the best interest, not just in Scottish football, but for the respective clubs. Uh, and I think there's bold provision for that uh, investment, especially for people who have got stakes in other clubs, so long as that it doesn't impact on dual interest on, on either side, because bear in mind, 
ironically enough, the rules in the championship in England are fairly stringent when it comes to that as well. So it'd be setting a sufficient bar that doesn't jeopardise the, the future prosperity of the club, but allows that financial investment. And can you explain to us that a thing that's came out in the past week, um, this Clause 12. I've heard about it, and it seems to be in almost all SPFL player contracts where if the league has been suspended, clubs have the right to suspend paying wages. Is that the way it works? Yeah, um, and I think there's an element of it enshrined in employment law. But effectively, if if your mode of business um, ceases to uh, function for a defined period, then I think the SPFL rules permit, and, and I've got it up here in the event of the Scottish FA deciding that the game should be suspended entirely or any district or districts provided for in the articles, the agreement shall be correspondingly suspended unless the club is exempted from such suspension. So it's, it's typically legalese, but in, but in short, if the game is suspended, then the club have the provision to similarly suspend, not terminate, but suspend those contracts. Can you see there being any chance of a, if it were possible, logistically and especially regarding safety, if games are to be played behind closed doors in some sort, you know, they keep the players in some sort of imaginary dome where they don't interfere with the public ever. But is that something that financially, because they would still lose money from gates, but might make money back from TV possibly or, or some sort of internet streaming. Is that a possible thing? Let, let me put it to you this way. If you don't have the capacity to bring fans in because of health and safety, if you are the player's reps or if you were looking at it from a player-first perspective, you would ask the question, if it's not safe for fans, why is it safe for players? Because we'll have to be around hotels or dressing rooms or training grounds and be in each other's company. So if it's not safe enough for the public, what makes it safe enough for players? I get the behind-closed-doors issue, and it's obviously something we'd seen sporadically before lockdown and and the pandemic reaching Europe in the, the way that it did. But I think we have to be careful in just assuming that the health and safety of players is a kind of pliable concern. What applies for fans, what applies to clubs and individual staff members should apply to players. So while it may well be a a potential down the line, I I don't think we can just glibly say, let's just play behind closed doors because players' welfare is equally important. Daryl Broadfoot, former SFA head of comms. So let's look at possible solutions then. Um, I like this. Like this a, is more like, on my street. So we've we've had a question in um, on Twitter from Callum Clark who asks, "Is league restructuring the way to go? Tell the TV companies four old firms a year isn't a must, and copy the Dutch model: eighteen team top flight and twenty two lower league is the way to go." I think. So I think he's basically saying, you know, four four games between Celtic and Rangers is enough. Eighteen team top flight and twenty two for whatever the other division or however. Well, I, I interpreted it as more. I mean, the question says the follow tell the TV companies to stop being obsessed with the old firm and create a more equal competitive product that is better and more easily sold. I mean, there's a huge following for teams like Hearts, Hibs, um, Aberdeen have historically done well in Europe, so they have a, a good following. Uh, the Dundee clubs, you got a good derby there. There's a lot of stuff going on. You could easily, I think, make it an 18 league, 18 team league. I've watched that for ages, 16 teams even, just to make it more competitive. But the problem is money. It ruins mm-hmm. and controls everything. 
So mm-hmm. even uh, like so in Scotland, the money, the majority of money, I don't think the majority anyway, but it's like a good chunk of um, revenue income for football clubs in Scotland comes from gates from tickets sold. So if the most of their money comes from tickets sold, they need a, a reason to go, and uh, people are more likely to go and see uh, Rangers coming to town than Hamilton. So a lot of clubs, like say, I mean, Livy, for example, can get maybe a thousand through the door. 1,200, I'm not sure what their average gate is, just really know that for certain, but it's not a huge amount. When Celtic and Rangers are that turn up, they fill the entire stadium with fans. So that straight away can be £10,000 a ticket sold at £30 a go. What's that, 300 grand? I'm not very good at maths, but I'm hoping that's about right. So that is a huge amount of income incoming. But what we've seen in recent seasons, which I quite like, is that certain clubs have realised that by doing this and focusing on Rangers and Celtic and giving them heaps of seats in the away section, you are it's a detriment to your own club because it I don't know if it you lose out on money for a start, but it sort of devalues your club in a bit in a way what I'm trying to say is that if you treat them as though they're special, then they naturally become special. And so you have kids coming through who will only want to support one of the one of the two from Glasgow rather than their local team or anyone else. It's not... And and you look at, like, England, if Man United just won every single time, all the time, forever, and then that was it. It would just be like the French League and no one would care. But lots of different clubs have won it over over time. People look at the Scottish League, in England especially, as a bit of a joke because it's always Celtic at the moment, and before that it was always only Celtic or Rangers. And that is a problem. Yes, you can sell it because it's got this moronic uh, historical vaguely tied in with religion thing that I know people who don't support one of the, one of the two don't care about I, I don't care I don't care about the old firm and uh, but it sells tickets it sells the league around the world if you don't have that the Scottish League is no more interesting to various other countries than I don't know what the example in the question the Dutch one do you watch Dutch football because I don't no, I don't. I go and see Ajax um, play because they're decent. Yeah, but... yeah, that's the thing. You pick it on Ajax, Feyenoord, or PSV. I, I think for this instance, I think restructuring does make sense. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of all for the idea of no relegation, all promotion. So you bring two teams up from the championship, and vice versa as you go down the leagues, and you have, you know, a fourteen-team top flight. Yeah, I want Cali in it. Dundee United. Because I'm, I'm thinking with my TV hat on, I'm even thinking at the end of the season, the relegation fight's far more interesting because you've got two going down. Yes. So you've got the more interest um, at the bottom end of the table as much as there is there might be at the top end if Celtic aren't 20 points clear by February. <laughs> but there you go. I mean, there's still interest in the division and you can still split the league. So you could still have your, your four or five, six Celtic Rangers games because you're going to get them in the cups anyway. So, not always, but the point is right now, I mean, the teams in the top six who play Rangers and Celtic get an extra two games against them right after the split. And it's at th- it's two before that? Three before it? I can't. Three, potentially three, three yeah. Potentially Most three. likely three. And like my example with Livy, or who, just whoever, any club, right? It was a small gate. Suddenly they sell that many more tickets because there's more interest. That can, if it's twice, it can be half a million pounds, maybe more, that comes through to your club as revenue that you could use for something else. Interesting that different clubs have stopped doing that uh, and not giving them so much of the of the away support. But it will be a long-term thing that you're trying to encourage, that you're trying to build this support group that will come through in, in years to come. 
So you have, I mean, I've seen, it feels to me like Scottish football is more, I don't know, is more widely followed amongst children than when I was growing up, from what I see from my friends and their kids and people going to school and stuff like that. And on social media, definitely, I I think so. I think social media is a huge reason for that. And there's something that makes, I don't know, it's really fun to support a Scottish team. Uh, And people are very protective over the, the premiership as well. But anyway, yeah, it's the money will, will ruin it all. I would like it to be a more competitive product so it's more fun to watch. And I would, I think it's great having teams like, like say, Cali and Dundee United, Partick. It'd just be cool to have those teams back in so they're always there and it's more interesting as a whole rather than finding out which team finishes behind Celtic or Rangers. JJ, all good, good ideas. Maybe we can actually start a lobby for it uh, on social. I mean, yeah, we're full of them, aren't we? Um, but let's see what the let's see what happens in the future. Speaking of, still to come on the show, we're going back in time to the 1998 World Cup. But first, we've got this. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Finding pastel de natas in a London cafe, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus begumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Of the season. Yes, it's team of the season time with a fancy new jingle. We've tasked JJ with coming up with a first 11 that can only include one player per premiership side, therefore making it not the team of the season. Um, but still, it's a fun of it, challenge. Really. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of turned into me picking uh, the best one of. <laughs> it's a shocking side, JJ, I have to admit. Like, I know you've got coaching badges, but. Me. I've got the very limited, like lowest ones. I don't think the coaching has anything to do with my amazing picks. But so far, to to uh, summarise, Xander Clark and goal, Andy Considine and Declan Gallagher at centre backs, and that's where we're at. And you have picked a manager. Oh yes, <laughs> St Mirren's Jim Goodwin, because Jim he is Goodwin. a very okay manager. Yeah. <laughs> manager of the season. <laughs> so JJ, we're picking fullbacks this week. Who have you got? Uh my fullbacks this week are we'll go with the boring one first. Because I had to pick a Kilmarnock player. <laughs> Stephen <laughs> O'Donnell is the right that's back. A, that's that's a solid solid choice. Because he's not been great for Scotland, you see, and then I think people have forgotten that he's actually a really decent right back, but it's Scottish Premiership level. And He's been very decent. We spoke about the Y Scout, the way they index their players according to various statistics. So the way you go to Y Scout and they have all their analysis and their data and all these bits and pieces. And yeah, Stephen O'Donnell comes out just below James Tavernier, and weirdly Sean Clare, who's not really a right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Stephen O'Donnell, in terms of your stats, comes down as the second best right back in the division, anyway. Uh, well, according to Wisecout, he's the third best. But in terms of, I mean, he's one of the best right backs in the country, anyway. I'd say one of the. Yeah. Like, I mean, the natural choice would be Tavernier, obviously at Rangers. I think would be the number one. Jeremy Frimpong at Celtic has been really good fun to watch. I've enjoyed him. 
and other than that, there's not a huge amount of choice, I would have said, yeah. throughout the league. It's not, there's no real stands out. Oh, it's my computer. <laughs> exactly, even the keyboard degrees. There's no, exactly, there's none. So we're going to put O'Donnell in there. There's no huge statistical thing that makes him stand out particularly. Um, he commits a lot of fouls, <laughs> is one thing he does, but that's probably professional fouls. Well, that we get sent off for, but yes, I, I suppose technically every foul he commits is a professional foul because he's a professional player. Uh, but he also makes a lot of key passes per 90. Uh, he likes to dribble with the ball. You can tell he's just a good player. Like He's the kind of player I think would be all right in midfield as well if he had to do it. He reminds me a bit of like Andy Dow back in the day for Aberdeen, who was a left-back. But yeah, That's why Stephen O'Donnell is one of my full-backs of the season. Nice. So, left-back then? It's got to be the one and only Aaron Hickey, who can play left-back or right-back. So... Multi-talented. But yeah, I'm sure you'll agree that he's been very decent this season. I, I Well, the the reason I like him is he's quite versatile. He plays right back as well. In terms of fullback, he is, for what, for a 17-year-old to be versatile and play right back as well as left back, I think. And I think well, he's even it. played centre-half because of the, the defensive injuries Hearts have had yeah, this season. Yeah, he's played midfield as well. And I think, yeah. he, I think he came through as a defensive midfielder in his even younger days. He was listed as a defensive midfielder in Football Manager 19, incidentally. But uh, as a as a left-back, for any player to be playing top-division football at a, a young age, so I've done this, I've talked this a few times in the podcast, but having gone through lots and lots of examples in history, and using like the great Real Madrid team that won the Champions League three years in a row, all the players that tend to reach a high level are all playing first team football, starting games by the time they are eighteen. If they don't make it, if they're not playing by the time they're eighteen, they don't tend to reach such a high level. It's, it's sort of a weird statistic. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But if you think t- players like Modric, Ramos, uh, Benzema, they're all starting at a young age because they're good enough. Jaden Sancho was good enough, that's why he's playing. Benzema was good enough, that's why he was playing at that age. Hickey is good enough to play in the Premiership as one of the better fullbacks in the country, and he's 17. So I think a lot of football is, is the mentality. It's obviously he'll grow because he's still young, so he'll grow into his body more and become physically stronger and maybe faster, things like that. But he can already play with his head, and that is the most important part of being a. Well, any footballer, but especially as a defender. And uh, the good thing is also that there's a dearth of talented left-backs in Scotland. So <laughs> I was going to say, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's low-hanging fruit, that joke, isn't it? But yeah, there you go. Aaron Hickey. So that is our... Left-back of the season. Wow. Do you know what? It actually, yeah, I can see this as a pretty... Dire football team. Xander <laughs> Clark. <laughs> you know it's bad when it starts there. A band is only as good as their drummer. I would say at the moment, I say dire. I think that's being a bit harsh here. I would say that that goalkeeper and back four, I think, could be a solid mid-table back four. That back four could finish third. <laughs> well, there you go. And with that. We can move on to the biggest moment of the podcast. We're moving on to Retro Fitbar. Do you really want it? Do you really want it? Do you really want it? Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. Is that a hair gel? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Do you believe in love after love? 
So last week we introduced our new feature, Retro Fitbar, and we are going to spend the next three weeks focusing on the 1998 World Cup, because spoiler alert, that's all Scotland got to play. Meh. But that doesn't mean we can't remember the good times. Like when Scotland opened the whole damn tournament by facing Brazil. Before we get into the match details though, here's a reminder of what happened. Quite make it, Cesar Sampao did an unlikely scorer, and Brazil lead. Collins against Taffarel. Fight for Scotland. And he finds the corner. Taffarel went the right way, but couldn't reach it. It's a lovely ball to Capu from Dunga. Scotland in trouble. It's gone in off Tommy Boyd. It's an own goal. Capu claims it. Scotland so unlucky. Scotland eventually losing this match thanks to an own goal by Tommy Boyd having gone behind after four minutes before equalising through John Collins. So JJ, you and I have both watched the match back. Have you watched the match back, JJ? <laughs> I haven't watched the match yet. <laughs> the full 90 minutes? I've watched the full 90 minutes, yeah. How did you feel when, um, when the teams walked out? What was your? Well, what, was, what do you remember from back, that, back then? Uh, I, mean, I was very young. I remember where I watched it. I talked about this last week. I watched it at my friend's house in Aberdeenshire. Good times. Good times all around. I remember it being... Do you sunny. remember what I remember, though? That I remember getting out of school early. My my primary school Where let me school? out. I wasn't at school for that. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm almost certain I was still at school. Well, anyway, I, I remember um, just me and two of my good friends getting face-painted from a mum, full saltire. You know, proper William Wallace style. <laughs> Getting ready for this game. I don't remember us being so excited. But one thing I noticed from watching this game, Andrew, which may shock you, is that I think Brazil might have been better at football in Scotland at the time. Yeah, just a bit. Just just a little bit. I mean, I think if, if, if you, you think about the excitement going into that game, there's always that feeling of maybe, maybe just, but when... You saw us go down after four minutes from uh, it was Cesar Sampao, defender, absolute class as well. But a bit of a defensive mistake, really, from a corner. I kind of felt like we were unlucky, <laughs> but at the same time, the actual the, analysis of the defending the, of the front. The post. first, the first, the first fifteen minutes was absolutely dreadful from Scotland. We couldn't keep the ball, and Brazil just looked so classy. I thought no. See, see, I sort of disagree with all of that. I uh, think really. I think Scotland are nervous to start with, but I think they don't. I don't think they uh, gave the ball away needlessly. They were playing a lot of channel balls, which you still see today. I don't see that much different in the Scotland then than I do in sort of modern Scotland. Roughly the same sort of thing. You've got one striker chasing everything, everyone else behind the ball, the wide forwards chasing stuff when they're finally forward. But it's mostly a team of defenders and a striker. Uh, it was mostly how it was. You but have- I. I- Go on. I was go- I was going to explain what, what how Craig Brown had set up because it was kind of a, a a kind of surprise attacking intent that that Very Scotland attacking. went out with, didn't they? It Very was attacking. a four three three. Yeah. They had Kevin Gallagher, Drury, up front, wasn't Born it Jury, as well? David, and yeah. uh, Darren Jackson. Yep. 
And the plan was like three centre forwards be... against Brazil. I mean, how ballsy is that? They weren't centre forwards though. They were they were wide forwards. They were basically wingers, and you had Burley on the right midfield as well uh, to try and double up because they knew that Roberto Carlos would go forward, and they were hoping that they hit the ball quickly forward down that channel and uh, exploit it. And you saw, uh, I mean, the first half. Everything went down the left. Not really sure why that was, because they wanted to try and take apart the right. But they could, the plan could have been to go up the left so that they'd have a player free on the right to switch the play. That didn't really happen anyway. But it was quite... I don't know. I, th- I think Scotland did all right. <laughs> it's just weird talking about them from that far back. Uh, one of the things I did find really funny was that I agree that Brazil looked at a cut above because they were. They are one of the best... I mean, they were a great team. It's funny seeing Ronaldo versus Jim Leighton. That was good, a good laugh as well to see that again. He like, had quite a good funny. game. Jim Leighton, Leighton yeah. actually did. All, like people, I, I forget he was forty years old. Exactly, and uh, I mean he played longer after that as well. And there's a good save off Roberto Carlos. Takes a shot from outside the box, like uh, bends it across the goal, and Leighton pushes it away. And remember that uh, he was really unlucky with the, the pushing the ball off of Tom Boyd for the for the goal as well. It was a uh, a real shame. The, one of the things I thought was funny, and you get, I think it's 24 minutes 15, if you manage to find a copy of this game to watch, at 24 minutes 15, Darren Jackson doesn't really touch Dunga an awful lot, but Dunga oh, goes yeah. down howling, like, Rah! and you can hear quite audibly, and I'll be bleeped while I say this, hell! And you can hear him on the off mic quite clearly, and then he gets up, and he just looks at him, and Robert Carlos comes across, touches him on the back, because like, I know, I know, he's at it. And then Jackson walked, and a lot of them are at it in this game as well. That like there were people going flying, like like Sampao. I think Jury chases him down. Sampao goes to clear the ball and uh, ends up kicking Jury with his leg, and then goes down holding his leg, howling again. And Jury looks at him, like just shaking his head, like "Come on, ref, it's not foul to them. It's clearly like it's he's gone in a bit hard and fast, but that's just how it is. The same thing with Scotland now. They're still trying to batter people rather than outplay them. Uh, the other thing with them. With Jackson is after he's stood up and walked away from him, he looks up at him and sort of shouts, "Hey, you! You're a fanny." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what he says. If anyone can watch it and work out what you're saying, I tried to listen to it about ten times and I couldn't quite work out the words. But it was perfect. He was just beside one of the on-pitch mics, so you can just get him. Like, uh, oh, it's great! It's great. Um, one of the cringiest things I thought I, I didn't expect to see. Although it makes total sense now, was when the teams were lined up and the camera pans across the whole Scotland team and it gets to John Collins and he gives the most cringiest like wink, like, "Yeah, I'm on camera, lads. Let's do this. Let's screw the Brazilians." Oh man, it was so bad. It was I so bad. It. At least he scored, though. At least he I scored. I thought it was coming, but I knew it was coming when I watched it. It was weird. <laughs> like it, as soon as it's yeah, it goes across him. I don't. I don't know if it like. I don't know if he always had that confidence. I mean, he was he was playing at Monaco at the time. Yes, so he'd left Celtic, hadn't he? This is what John Collins is like. Like all the stories you hear about John Collins, he sounds like a very confident man. That's part of his uh, abilities. That he believes he can do things. That I mean, he was a good player, but he wasn't Beckham. No, he wasn't. I think I think this was a time that because. Brazil were quite unstoppable after winning the World Cup in 94. And I think there was this sort of... There might have been a, a nervousness going into this tournament for Brazil well, in a way because... Why were they nervous playing against Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Cafu and Roberto Carlos? Well, well, Brazil were prolific when they had Ronaldo and Romário. And Romário wasn't in this team because he was injured. 
But I remember looking back and thinking, how many goals did they score in 97? I think they won everything that they could between 94 to, to 98. And I saw that Romario and Ronaldo had this partnership, which was called the Roro Attack. And they scored 37 goals in 1997. And I think Romario scored 19 of them. And it was one of these things where, like, oh, if Romario's not there, how, how will Brazil get on? Turned out they did all right, but they didn't win the <laughs> competition. So there you go. It is um, interesting, um, though, how Scotland played in this game the same way that they would approach it. Like, there's really not that much difference in modern Scotland to the old. Like, we were, I know we often look at it and go, oh, we were so much better back in 98 and that when we got a team to the tournament. It's really not that different. It was just like sit quite deep, uh, focus on a couple of game tactics you can use, like, you know, uh, target this player, try this, do that. But the Mostly channel balls, not a particularly high press, nothing nothing too special. The players are decent at keeping it and moving it around, but they're up against better players who are more comfortable keeping it. And in high-pressure situations, the better players are the ones who don't end up hitting it into a channel. They just pass it backwards and start again, and they're patient. But that's something that Scotland never really been particularly great at. I mean, I think the last good teams we would have had were in the 80s, where the ones in the 90s weren't particularly... like it. It's solid enough, but I mean, the Colin Hendry is like a considered a great defender, but he's the kind of guy he's a great defender because he just throws himself at grenades. Like I think he would be on the street and he would do that for. Oh, well, he he was himself in front of a bus to save a cat. It's the kind of thing he, he was. Do. He was made for that game. He was blocking everything. He was literally throwing his life on the line to stop you know shots going in. I don't. Um, I don't think he was literally putting his life on the line. <laughs> Was the foul on Kevin Gallagher? I think it was. Was it a penalty? It was soft. Do you think it was so- very it soft? Yeah, really soft. Yeah. <laughs> very soft. Good penalty. Um, yeah, it was a good penalty. And what about the um, the winner for Brazil? I mean, I think I remember particularly just walking away. I went to my garage and just cried. And then I cried more because the paint that my mum had put in my face went into my eyes. So that was quite sore. So it was a du- I just got absolutely slammed. I think my crushing lifelong realism meant that I just, oh, well, that's what was always going to happen, wasn't it? That was good fun, though. The colours are nice. I love the, the shirt's colours. It's the first time I realised that this was going to be my future. This was the start of something disastrous, and it's still going on. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, after you know, it, it, you you mentioned it was a heroic defeat, which seems to be a quite a good thing. I think Scotland, Scotland did. Do. Yeah, we. I think I don't think we could have played any better. I don't think we were ever going to win that game, but we could still hold our heads high by only losing by a goal. So yeah, it's the kind of sh- game we would only win one nil. The same way we beat France with Fatty scoring from four miles out. It is the same. And thing. just before we move, we move out of this. We did have a really good chance in the second half, but it was 1-1, when um, the the only time Scotland actually played nice football, albeit, yeah, it was a long ball up to Gordon Jury, who just kicked lumps out of all the defenders, knocked it into Kevin Gallagher, and he played he a really nice them. move. But he wasn't kicking them, this is the I was cl- like- No, I know, I know, but it's clever. It was really, really clever. But Kevin Gallagher, do you remember the, you know, the bit I'm talking about? Working with John Collins, and they actually cut Brazil into pieces. And Kevin Gallagher then cut the ball back, but nobody was there. Nobody was there to just tap it in. Oh, I can't remember that bit. I might have been looking at my phone at the time or something. It was, it was in the second half. Second I think half. Scotland, the, forward, the forwards were like they were good, 
players in that team. It's just that as a team, collectively, Scotland have not been very strong ever. Yeah. Um, summed up perfectly by, um, uh, who was it, Bayano, centre-half, who back-heeled defend, defensive clearance. That was Brazil. Next week, we are going to be talking about Scotland's game against Norway, which was a must-win. Will things be brighter? I don't think so. Well, thanks to you all for listening and spending your lockdown with us again this week. Our final question of the day goes to Andrew Lang, who asks, can we build a statue for Nasey? Stephen Naismith, this is. Merely the latest gesture in a long line of career, generous, socially-minded action. Um, would you allow a statue, JJ? I think everyone should get a statue. <laughs> Constantine should get a statue. Naismith, Martin Boyle. So on the fence, it's unbelievable, always. JJ, thanks for being... (laughs) Give everyone a statue. Everyone must be happy. Well, thank you for your... statues, they're good. Thanks, JJ. At Arsenal, there's about 14 of the things. (laughs) Everyone gets one. You play 100 games, you get a statue. Well, thank you, JJ. For um, we'll get you, we'll get you a statue soon. Don't you worry. And thanks to the little kicks as well for the quarantunes. Very good. I'll let Abby produce her enjoy that one. Listeners, stay safe. Um, keep washing those hands. Look after your friends and family by staying away from them. And until then, we'll see you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello listeners, I'm Caroline Barker, host of The Totally Football League Show. I'm joined each week by Sam Parkin. Say hello, Sam. Hi, Caroline. By Adrian Clark. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. And the Bolton Wanderers fan too. Not Adrian, but Joe Criddy. Looking forward to League Two. Yes. Each week we go headfirst into the EFL to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever Ian Holloway has said now. From Leeds to Luton, Sunderland to Plymouth, Swindon to Stevenage and everything in between. If it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered. Haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. (laughs) Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy News Media.